Welcome to the P4C Podcast. We are excited to reshare with you the last 14 years of teaching through God's Word at Passion for Christ Summit. Each week, the P4C Podcast delivers rich truths for your life, and we know you will be blessed. Our current series is from P4C 2015, Holiness. We now join Micah Kavanaugh for this year's men's breakout session. We hope you are encouraged and challenged. Anyway, let's, uh, let's pray before, before we begin. Our gracious Father, we just thank you for bringing us here today. I ask you to bless this time we have before us. Uh, use the words of my mouth for your glory, Lord, and just uh, open our hearts to hear your word. Uh, make us open to what you would have us to hear. And um, Thank you for your love for us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was telling, who was I telling earlier? I think it was Danny Fox, who's not here. Um, there's a comedian, who I won't say because then some of you might be offended that I listened to him. But um, he, was, he was in a part of the, the country where they didn't have Waffle Houses, I guess. And he was telling a joke that had to do with the Waffle House, and nobody laughed. And he goes, don't you guys have Waffle Houses? And then he was like, uh, he said, well, how do I explain a Waffle House? He goes, he says, he said, imagine, he said, I got it. He said, imagine a gas station bathroom that sells waffles. <laughs> and everybody laughs. Everybody can identify with that. If anybody's been to a gas station bathroom, you know, if they sold waffles, you'd probably get a disease if you ate them there. So anyway, that's a side note. But I often thought, what if I'm saying something and nobody gets what I'm saying? Uh, you know, that's always a fear, I think, when you're speaking. But anyway. Mike Plant was an American single-handed yachtsman. He competed in the BOC Challenge and the Vendée Global. I don't know what that means, but he competed in them. He was a single-handed, non-stop racer. The the event he competed in was a single-handed, non-stop race around the world. After five years of sailing, hand sailing, he logged over 100,000 miles at sea, and he set the record for the fastest solo circumnavigation by an American at the time of 135 days. So he was an accomplished sailor. He built a vessel called the Coyote. And in 1992, on October the 16th, he set sail for France, the coast of France. I believe he left from New York. And he was going there to compete in another big event, circumnavigate the whole the world. And he was going to do it. He wanted to do it in better time and all this. And he was famous at the time. This was 1992. Um, and he set sail. Within a few days, a radio contact was made, and he told them that he was having trouble with his ship. It was a very expensive ship. He had designed it and built built it himself, but he said he was having trouble, but he thought he could work it out. The last thing he said on the radio communication was, tell my fiancé not to worry. Some 32 days later, after a long, extensive search for Michael Plant, a, a freighter came across his boat upside down in the water. It was a sailing vessel. And it was upside down. And the, the guys on the boat noticed that the keel, and all this, if you're a sailor, I apologize. But the keel on the back was there, but the bulb was missing. There was an 8,400 pound bulb that was supposed to be attached to it. And that bulb was supposed to keep that vessel where it was supposed to be in the water at all times. But it was gone. Mike's body was never recovered. And uh, and the story is actually quite sad. There's a biography about him that I read a little bit of. But I want to draw your attention to the fact that what was missing on the vessel was that 8,400-pound 
bulb that was supposed to keep it where it was supposed to be as it traveled. I want to discuss with you today the, the idea of personal holiness and the personal responsibility that comes with that for us. Last night, it was mentioned that we do have a positional holiness because we have been saved. We are positionally holy because we have Christ in us. But then there's that. To me, and I know it was also touched on, there's that personal aspect, the personal responsibility that we have of working out our own salvation. And so what does that look like? I was also talking with another brother here about how sometimes your, your public life looks very different from your private life. For me, it does. And sometimes I think that I can control my private life and my public life will look good. I can, I can work that out at church or people or whatever. But your private life will spill into your public life eventually. Whether it is a good private life or a bad private life, it will spill over. But I want to discuss with you today the aspect of personal holiness as it pertains into our own personal responsibility. Your walk with the Lord. In Psalm 51, and we're going to go there for you who have uh, Bibles, uh, we find David. David is on the other side of a period that you could say was the height of his sin. Or, as Dad said, well, it's kind of the depth. It was also the depth of his sin, but it was the height of his sin. If you go back to 2 Samuel, I know you're all turning to Psalms. I'm going to go back to 2 Samuel. You don't have to go there. I'm going to read this for you. David, uh, his army is away at war, and David goes to the rooftop. You all know the story. David goes up to the roof, and he's looking around, and he sees Bathsheba, and she's bathing. And she's either partially nude or completely nude, and so he's looking, oh, he likes what he sees, he's interested. Being the king, he gets her over, they have relations, she gets pregnant. Then he says, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So he gets her husband back, and one thing leads to another, and he gets him alcoholed up, long story short, sends him home, but Uriah has much more character at that point than David does, and he doesn't sleep with his wife. And so then he goes back to war, and David's, oh, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? So he tries to do all these things for Uriah. Nothing works. So he has, him, he has him killed. He puts him at the front of the battle and has the men retreat. Uriah dies. It's over. David's troubles are at an end. But in 2 Samuel 12, which I'll read for you. You don't have to turn there because we're not going to stay there. It says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, he told him a story. He said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had, poor man had nothing except one little lamb that he had bought. And he raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. And it shared his food, it drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for him. The traveler to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the little lamb that belonged to the poor man and he prepared it for the one who had come to him, the traveler. And David, it says, burned with anger against this man and said, Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. And then Nathan looked at David and he said, You are the man. I want to talk a little bit today in conjunction with our personal holiness about when God says you are the man to you in your own personal life. If I'm Nathan here, I'm not real excited about going and telling the king that he screwed up. 
that's not really on my, you know, but God tells him to go. And so Nathan comes to him, not really as a friend, but more as the prophet of God saying, you have a giant problem that you need to address. And then I think what is most interesting at all is after all of this, if you skip down to verse 13, it says, David says to Nathan, after all of these things, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. David's response, which is where we pick up in Psalm 51, which I have marked. And in Psalm 51, David is writing sort of a, a confession to God, if you will, of what he's done. And it's really his outpouring a prayer for, for cleansing from the Lord. And he says, starting in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And I'm going to stop right there. David's response here is, is, in, is indicative of, of a heart that has seen his sin and that is turning to the Lord and truly wants forgiveness. But, but it, didn't, it didn't start that way. David's issue wasn't started with Bathsheba. Uh, if you look at, you know, David's problem initially wasn't that he called her over and had relations with her. David's sin problem and our sin problem goes further back. For us, and we're going to get into this more in just a second, uh, the nature of temptation doesn't begin with the act itself. And I'm not necessarily just talking about sex. That seems to be the, always the topic of John Piper or anybody who's given a talk. It seems to be that's the natural thing that they go to. But this could be anything in your life. Any temptation, any sin, any failure that you have. It, um, David, David's response was what ours should be. But too often I find for myself it's not. Too often I find for myself my immediate response is not to go and confess, repent, and, and be baptized, as it were, in the, in the blood of Christ. If we look at James, I'm going to flip over to James. We're going to spend the rest of our time here. In James 1, verses 14 through 15. James says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and when sin, it is finished, brings forth death. Temptations come. That, that word there, uh, the word, I think it's tem- tempted. Is it the word tempted? Enticed. Well, it depends on which is the word for snare, actually, in the original language. A snare that has bait on it. And when you reach up and you take that, that's when it gets you and it pulls you in. So the, the sin is not in the temptation, obviously. But he tells us, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. This is, this is our story, yours and mine. We are tempted when we are drawn away of our own lust and enticed. So many times I like to blame other things. Well, you know, I mean, you know, the devil got the better of me this week. 
the devil did not get the better of you. Your own self got the better of you. Because in verse 14 and 15, James lays out for us, our, he tells us a story of ourselves. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. This is the personal responsibility, the nature of temptation. When we are tempted to think that God is not good. Because if you look on down in verse 17, he says, after he says, Do not err, my beloved brethren, every good and perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom... There is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So why does he skip from temptation and trials to gifts from God? Because he's telling us we're not tempted of God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. But we're tempted by our own lust. We're drawn away by our own interests. And so temptation happens to us all. Uh, I, you know, I work, in, I work in politics, and some of you know that. I work at the Capitol, and so often... I see people leading a double life in politics. And I find that it's easy for myself to slip into that. That Because you're at work and, and you can say whatever you want. And actually you can do whatever you want. You can find whatever you want. And yet, when you go to church, you talk about how you fight for the right thing and all that good stuff. It is so easy to lead that and to easily slip into. Because you see, I see people I work with who are one way over here, and that's the nature of politics, and they come back over here, and I know that they're sleeping with their secretary or whatever. And so it's so disgusting, and yet it's so easy because that's what you're into. Temptation is there. In whatever field or whatever you work in, temptation is there, in your private life especially, if not always in your public place of work where you're at. And so for us, the battle is here. The battle is within. The battle is with us. James doesn't say, doesn't talk about how, you know, you have to fight the devil. You have to fight demons in your life. He talks about how you have to fight with your own self. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. It's our, it's our own lust, yours and mine. Um, Isaiah 55, 6 says to seek the Lord while he may be found. I didn't turn there and read that. I read that from memory, so I'm not going to go any further. But it's this idea that you and I have the action to take in temptation. For me, personal holiness, it is so easy for me in my personal life, because I live alone as well, so that's also difficult. Because you can do whatever you want when you live by yourself. Nobody knows. And I often forget, uh, don't forget, I often choose not to think about the fact that God is always with me, that it is God. I live with God every day. I have Christ living in me. And so whatever I do, He is doing with me. Ooh, that makes things weird, you know. That makes some things very interesting. And it does. You should remember that. Eric said last night, do you do everything to the glory of God? Fingernails, eating, whatever you're doing. It sounds a little strange, but actually it doesn't because remember, you have Christ living in you. And so when you look at when James says, every man is tempted of his own lust, and when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. When it is finished, it brings forth death. That progression, you're, you're living that out in your own life when you're not fighting against the sin that's inside of you. The old man, as it were. And I, I've mentioned this before to some of you probably, but there's a book, The Enemy Within, that goes deep into this subject. That, that so many times people love to, to blame circumstances or to blame evil or to blame... You have enough evil inside of you, is what the book talks about, that you, you are more than capable of destroying yourself. 
So what, what is weighing us down? 8,400 pound bulb on that coyote, on that ship. That's what weighed down the sailor so that he could get across. You and I have that in our lives. And today what I wanted to, to just talk with you about was my own personal walk and your own personal walk. It's only successful when we're involved in it. You, you, can't be, you can't have the position in Christ that we have. We are holy because of what Christ has done on the cross and the fact that he lives in us now. But there is also the aspect that you and I have an action to perform. You and I must be fighting daily. Verse 23 of James 1 says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man who is beholding his face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and he goes away, and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. David did that. David forgot who he was. Here's a man after God's own heart. Goes to the rooftop, sees a woman, has a chance, there's the temptation, has a chance to back away. But nobody gets, you and I don't come to the point where we're stuck in a situation where whatever it is is in front of us, and we say, oh man, how did I get here? No, 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 no. You got there because your own heart was drawn away of itself. You, you, have, you have fed that temptation. You have enjoyed that lust or whatever it is. And you know that. It's interesting because uh, there, was a, there was a guy who, uh, who fell uh, morally. And I remember this was at the Capitol and uh, elected official. And he was upset when he got caught. And he, and he said... How did, how did we get here? That, that, was, that comment was made. And I know he didn't, I know if he had thought for more than just a minute, he would have realized how he got here. Because you never get to that point. You never get to that point where you're caught in that sin in an instant. It happens over time. And for me, I find any sin throughout the day, it's because I haven't cultivated that relationship with, with Christ. Mike Plant built the coyote. I read about all the details of it. None of them made much sense because it was all sailing words and stuff that don't mean anything to me. But when it got done, it told how much it had cost him and he had designed and built it himself. He had a relationship with that boat. He invested in that boat. It was what it was because he had cultivated it. You and I have to cultivate Christ in our lives. When I don't cultivate Christ in my life, and I do that so often, or don't do that so often, that's when I find it so easy to just do stuff and not worry about it, not think about it, no matter what it is. Uh, I think, interestingly, not, it's a small thing, but have you ever been somewhere and you've like taken something like at the grocery store, you've eaten a grape or something like that? That's a small thing, right? Some people do that and they think it's cool and it's no big deal. But think about that in relationship to the little things in your life, the small ways that you ignore Christ in your daily walk and how those build up. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. I said earlier that in politics, people are not who they appear to be. That happens a lot. Um, and it's so easy. I was talking with Eric last night and Matt. It's so easy to be disillusioned. Well, it's just not worth it. Our passion, our passion should be, your passion, if you're a believer, should be Christ. He should be your passion. And I was telling them, I said, you know, my passion is politics. And Matt was saying something about, well, why don't you just get out? I said, I've thought about getting out. You know, I'm just sick of it. Because it is. It's disgusting sometimes. My passion is politics. Your passion, my passion should be Christ and whatever you're doing in your life. 
so it's easy, though, in that Christian walk to become disillusioned because it's difficult. It's not easy. Your position in Christ is secure, but your day-to-day walk becomes convoluted with whatever you put in it. And it's the same way for me in the political field. My day-to-day walk, I get sick of it. I'm tired. I want to quit. It's not worth it. None of this matters. My boss called me the other day and he, he said uh, he's running for re-election. I work for a state representative in Texas and he's running for re-election. And he told me, he said, Michael, you remember two and a half years ago when I decided to run and we started raising money and I started knocking on doors. Remember how we knocked 8,000 doors? And I said, yeah. And we spent $55,000. Yes. He said, remember we went down to Austin after all that work and we fought we lost, we fought, we lost, we fought, we lost. I said, yeah, I was there. He said, we didn't win much. I said, that's true. He said, now you want me to go back to my district and everybody wants me to run again. They want me to spend money again and knock on all those doors to go down and do what? And I was really discouraged at the time with the whole political process and I said, I don't know. I don't know if you want to do it. I said, I'm not sure it's wise. But then I, I thought about it. And I told him, I said, you know, boss, if this is what you're called to, that's what you should do. And it's the same way for us. We fight every day. I don't know about you, but I struggle every day. I don't read, you know, we had a pastor that we went to and he said, he counseled the young men in the church. He said, if you don't have a desire to read God's word, if you don't have a desire to pray and talk to the Lord and cultivate your relationship with Christ, then you do it until you get the desire. He said, because if you call yourself a believer... That is what marks a believer, somebody who desires after God. He said, if you don't have that desire, then you pray and you work until it becomes something that you do desire. And for me, that's, man, that's every day. That is every day. I, uh, I don't like confrontation. I like to talk about confrontation. I like to tell people that I'm good at confrontation, but I don't like confrontation. It's all, um, at the Capitol, I, I get tickled and I refer back to that. But we have a lot of chiefs of staff and we all get together for our little meetings. And everybody's always like, yeah, you know, I was there and this lobbyist came in. They said they weren't going to support us. And, well, I, I told them how it was. Now they're writing us a check. And I'm like, ooh, that's cool. So everybody likes to tell their little story of how, how cool they are. You know, they've got, they've got the better story. I don't like confrontation, but I do like telling those stories to other people about how cool I was. And... I think we all like that. You know, we like to seem like we've got it together. Now, just because you may not have it all together doesn't mean you need to get up in front of an entire group and, and just tell everybody all your sins. Uh, that happened once. I was in a meeting and the leader was saying, everybody just, you know, get up and just share and tell what God is leading in your life. And so one guy said, I, I have testimony. Okay. And it was a friend of mine. And he gets up. Oh, man, what's he going to say? He said, I've been struggling with this sin for a long time. I'm like, oh, man. We're all, and he goes, "Uh, you know, and this is a mixed group. There's a hundred of us, and there's probably more girls than there are guys. And he goes, I've just been struggling with the sin of masturbation and lust. And I went, oh, Lord, wow, he went there. And everybody was like, oh. They didn't want to look at him, you know. Oh, my God. And he starts talking about how he struggled with it and everything. Nobody talked to him for the rest of the week. <laughs> you meet him in the hallway and you just go duck into a bathroom. I didn't even talk to him. I didn't want to be seen talking to him, you know. I don't know. 
No, all guys don't struggle with that. Of course not. You know, you see a girl in the hallway, you're like, don't think that's me. You felt like every girl looked at you that way. So you don't always have to just blab where you're at. Find a brother. And that leads me to community. How do, we, how do we fight that in our daily lives? How do we be more like Christ? Well, yes, it is your personal walk with Him. Yes, you are positioned in Christ. You have to work it. You have to fight it. You have to read His Word. You have to seek Him. You have to put things in your life. And in so putting, you have to seek out community because community is so important. Two years ago, when did we have the church topic? The topic was on the church here. Anyway, topic one year for here was the church. And I show up. And I've got my breakout session, and the topic's the church, and I don't have a church that I'm attending full-time, and I'm not a member of any church. And that was like one of the first messages was, you need to be involved in church. And the message giver walked us through why it was important and how important it was. And I thought, man, this is... So I don't always speak from a place of achievement. And today, I don't speak from a place of achievement. I speak from a place of, I struggle with this. This is me. These, these things I've talked about, they're the same things I'm struggling with. The bulb, sometimes, ugh, I've lost it. I don't have it. I'm off course. Now, unlike Mike Plant, our bulb's not gone. Okay, So we haven't lost Christ. Can't lose Him. He's there. So the analogy does break down. But we get confused. We get drawn away. You need to seek out community. I joined a church... I joined a Bible study there. I've got guys around me I talk to. My pastor and I go out for coffee on a regular basis. You need to do that. It's not just you and your private life saying, okay, I'm going to be a better Christian. I'm going to read more of God's Word. I'm going to read books that help me. You're not an island, right? No man is an island. No man is a spiritual island especially. You must go and find the people that you can put in your life that can speak into your life talk to you about where you're at. And you can be honest and tell them about that sin that you probably shouldn't tell everybody about, you know? That you can't. You know, that's what that's for. That iron sharpening iron. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have questions about P4C, visit our website at p4csummit.org or you can email us at info at p4csummit.org We hope you can join us next week on the P4C podcast as we listen to part two of this message. May God bless you as you seek to passionately live for His glory each and every day.